Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Дамы и господа, это Prevail и ваш ведущий Грег Олег. I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show. Catherine Louise Newfeld, Lou New, is here. We're going to break down the Tom Barrick indictment and what that all means in a little bit. This is, of course, the week when the January the 6th commission started. I'm recording this on Tuesday the 27th after a rousing day there. I'm not sure what's going to happen with all this, but what I hope happened and what it looks like is going to happen is that it's going to be harder and harder for Republicans, whether they're politicians or voters, to deny the reality of what happened that day. It's going to be harder for Republican politicians to obfuscate, to distract us from what's going on. Elise Stefanik tried to do it today. Dumbass. She failed. Matt Gates and, and the other one, Marjorie, had a little press conference that shut down almost as soon as it started because protesters were whistling and carrying signs. There's video of what happened. There's lots of video. We're going to be watching that video. We're going to be hearing from police officers who were on the ground that day. And we're going to be hearing about this for months. At the end of that time, I like to think we're going to get a little closer to the truth. That's what I hope. It was really nice to see Liz Cheney on that stand as part of the commission. I think she brings gravitas and bipartisan respect, even though they're trying to paint her as a Pelosi Republican, which is so stupid. They just try to, you know, attach that word to everything. Liz Cheney is not a Pelosi Republican. She's a patriotic Republican. And if you're not with Liz Cheney and you're a Republican, you're a fucking traitor. So that's kind of reality check how it goes. Before we get started with Lou New, I want to read a little bit from the piece I wrote this week, it occurred to me that Donald Trump really is a weapon. We say he's a puppet, but he's really a weapon. 
and he's being used by his owners, Putin, the oligarchs, the criminal underworld, to destroy us, to sow chaos, to weaken our allies, and so forth. So I wrote a little bit about that today, and you might, if you haven't read the piece, you might be thinking, what is he talking about? This sounds crazy, but keep an open mind for a minute and look at it objectively. Look at it objectively, what went on, I ask you. The piece is called, Trump is Putin's ultimate weapon, literally. The former guy is not just a Kremlin puppet, he's also a doomsday device. And he's killed 610,000 Americans with no end in sight. Donald John Trump is the fully owned property of the mafia state we're pleased to call the Russian Federation. It's been this way since the heyday of the USSR. The KGB cultivated him when I was still in grade school. He's been laundering money for the Russian mob for decades. It's no great mystery why Putin preferred him to Hillary Clinton in 2016. Trump was already compromised, already in Moscow's back pocket. He was a Manchurian candidate, but more dangerous because there was no solitaire-induced hypnosis involved. Guy just did what he was told, no questions asked. As president, Trump was able to do enormous damage to the country on behalf of his Russian whoremasters, punctuated by his willful sabotage of the pandemic response. As a former guy, he continues to wreak havoc for those same overlords, our mortal enemies for the last 75 years. His prime directive, as I tweeted in November of 18, this was my pinned tweet until this week, is to sow chaos and weaken the U.S. and our allies. Every single thing he's done since taking office is to achieve those purposes. That and to enrich himself personally. This is not some pie-in-the-sky, cue-of-the-left conspiracy theory. Trump's ties to organized crime are well-documented. A search of the archives of The Village Voice or The New York Times will turn up plenty of good reporting. Craig Unger wrote two books about this, countless articles before that. Luke Harding's Collusion spells it out nicely. Lincoln's Bible, my friend, provides the deep-dive history in her World Beneath podcast, and I've covered it extensively at Prevail, my substack. Not only that, plenty of people in government have confirmed all of this. In the debates in 2016, Hillary Clinton told us point blank that Trump was Putin's puppet. The Mueller report contains numerous instances of his associates working in concert with high-placed Russians. Volume 5 of the Senate Intelligence Committee report states unequivocally that, quote, the Russian government engaged in an aggressive, multifaceted effort to influence or attempt to influence the outcome of the 2016 presidential election, unquote, to benefit Trump. Paul Manafort, the chair of Trump's campaign, was working with a Russian intelligence officer who specializes in election fuckery. Even Kevin McCarthy said, back in June of 2016, before he was himself owned, that Trump was on Putin's payroll. Okay, you say. Great. He's Putin's puppet. Yes, we know. We get it. What does that mean in practice? What it means is that Trump is the ultimate weapon used by the Russians to attack America. He is their Enola Gay. He has become death, destroyer of worlds. Trump was Putin's doomsday device while he was president, and he hasn't stopped serving that function, even after we kicked his diapered ass to the curb. Understand, Putin and his oligarchs want nothing less than to destroy American democracy. They rightly see our republic as a threat to their corrupt, despotic regime, and they want it gone. 
Too inept and puny to fight us by conventional means, they use psychological operations, or psyops, primarily delivered by acts of cyber warfare. The Russians are really good at this. They want us isolated, divided, sick, violent towards each other, broke, demoralized. They want our institutions eroded. They want our alliances broken. And if we look at recent history from the lens of the former guy as Trojan horse, as polonium in our collective tea, we see that that's exactly what Trump did and what he continues to do. First, they want us isolated. The pathetic Russian state is no match for a unified NATO. Ain't even close. Putin wants no part of the U.S. as the world's policeman, because that little twerp is a criminal, maybe the greatest thief who ever lived. So he wants the U.S. isolated from Europe and the U.K. isolated from the continent and the special relationship bollocksed. With Trump and Brexit, two fronts of the same Russian op, he did major damage to NATO. And there was Trump all along, pissing on our allies, pulling out of treaties and accords, grousing about the cost of NATO, shoving other world leaders out of the way at summit meetings, just like his puppet master commanded. The long period of relative peace and prosperity in the West since 1945 is an historical anomaly. Trump put the Pax Americana in peril. Critically wounded, there's no guarantee it will survive. Two, they want our institutions undermined. A strong State Department uses diplomacy to curb Russian aggression in Ukraine and elsewhere. A strong Defense Department develops new weapons and systems of defense. A strong Treasury Department keeps the economy stable, raises revenue effectively via taxation, and goes after organized crime. A strong Education Department ensures that our kids are taught critical thinking skills, developing the ability to see through disinformation and propaganda. A strong Attorney General fights the crooks and keeps the playing field level. A strong Postmaster General gets the mail out in time, and so on. Trump installed individuals at the head of those departments whose primary job was to undermine them, to put sugar in the gas tank of those venerable institutions. Remember when Trump's USPS appointee, that smirking gorilla Louis DeJoy, dismantled the mail sorting machines for no logical reason, and we still can't get rid of him because of the rules and regulations? That's a perfect metaphor for the entire Trump administration's attitude towards our institutions. Did Betsy DeVos make anything better at education? Did Bill Barr at DOJ? This was unadulterated cronyism. It made some Americans wealthier, sure. But ultimately, it worked to serve Russian interests. Three, they want us divided. The evil geniuses at the KGB knew what our weakness was long before the fall of the Soviet Union, our institutionalized racism. The U.S. went around the world trumpeting liberty and justice for all while maintaining an egregious double standard at home. Any moral argument about the U.S. versus the USSR would end with a mustached Russian saying, ah, but you lynch black people. In short, American racism is good for Soviet and now Russian propaganda efforts. It makes us look like a nation of hypocritical bigots. So installing the avatar of hypocritical bigotry in the White House and building his politics around white grievance, around white victimhood, plays right into Putin's tiny hands. The Russians have known for years that race is the ultimate wedge issue in the United States and that nothing riles up ignorant white people like the seemingly anodyne declaration that black lives also matter. 
Every time some mouth-breathing lummox in blue murders an unarmed black person, Putin smiles. Derek Chauvin may as well be a GRU operative. Four, they want us broke. A lot of forecasters thought the stock market would tank as soon as Biden took over. It hasn't. Because you know what? Investors abhor volatility and Donald Trump is volatility made flesh. How many times did Trump cite some or other company in a tweet artificially boosting its value? I'm looking at you, Eastman Kodak. He also squandered federal money, just like he squandered his inheritance from Fred, tacking an unfathomable $7.8 trillion onto the national debt. As ProPublica reports, quote, the debt has risen by almost $7.8 trillion during Trump's time in office. That's nearly twice as much as what Americans owe on student loans, car loans, credit cards, and every other type of debt other than mortgages combined. It amounts to $23,500 in new federal debt for every person in the country. The growth in the annual deficit under Trump ranks as the third biggest increase relative to the size of the economy of any U.S. presidential administration. And unlike George W. Bush and Abraham Lincoln, who oversaw the larger relative increases in deficits, Trump did not launch two foreign conflicts or have to pay for a civil war. End quote. I'm hardly one of these balanced budget hawks, but at some point there's a limit on how much we can put on the national credit card. The debt will have to be paid. There is no free lunch. And Trump did this on purpose. Again, it benefits Russia. Five, they want to shooting each other. We know that the Russians infiltrated the NRA. Maria Butina, Alexander Torshin did this masterfully, using gun rights as a wedge issue. A Senate Finance Committee report released in 2019 shows that Moscow was allowed to influence NRA policy. We also know that Wayne LaPierre, the disgraced former NRA president, met with Trump and predicated further support for him in 2020 on Trump stopping the games, quote, on gun reform. Here we have two amoral individuals strongly influenced by Russia, seeking outcomes that benefit Russia at the expense of American lives. There's blood on their hands. Most Americans want better controls on guns, especially on the AR-15s that are the weapons of choice for most mass shootings. Even many NRA members want that. The NRA says, no way. Why? Because it behooves Russia for us to shoot and kill each other. Optically, it makes us look like a bunch of violent idiots and makes Russia, with its strict gun laws, appear sane by comparison. And it traumatizes people, terrorizes people, kills Americans. All bad for us, great for Vlad. It's not that the NRA is a terrorist organization. It's that it now exists to do the bidding of a hostile foreign power hell-bent on our destruction. The NRA, like Trump, is a weapon being used by Russia against us. Why else would Moscow have bothered infiltrating it? Last but not least, they want us sick. Trump knew about the severity of the novel coronavirus in early February 2020, as Bob Woodward eventually revealed. Rather than listen to experts, he gave the keys to Jared Kushner, who authorized a blue state genocide. Worse, Trump politicized the pandemic response. First it was the masks, now it's the vaccine. When this pandemic finally ends, more Americans will have lost their lives to COVID-19 than died in the Civil War. Trump and his nihilistic statehouse acolytes like Ron DeSantis, Greg Abbott, Tate Reeves, and Christy Noem are responsible for the lion's share of those deaths. Even now, Trump, 
who was vaccinated, who himself suffered from the virus, could make a huge difference by pushing his disciples to get vaccinated and wear masks. Why would he not do that? Why is he actively killing his own voters, if not to exacerbate the pandemic and weaken the country as his owner, Vlad Putin, wants? I've described Trump as a weapon, as polonium in our tea, as a doomsday device, but perhaps the better metaphor is epidemiological. He is a virus infecting the body politic. Indeed, he has literally allied himself with the novel coronavirus, encouraging his disciples to eschew masks and vaccines and to resist the government's attempts to slow the spread. What right-minded human being would fight for a virus? And yet there they are, the proud anti-vaxxers, draped in their polyester Trump flags, spewing out bile, disinformation, and spittle enriched with the Delta variant. MAGA is more than a death cult. It's a hydrogen bomb. And if we don't defuse it, it's going to keep killing us and destroying our country. One more thing before we get to Lou New is that this past weekend, Who Owns Kavanaugh trended on Twitter, like really trended, like it was in the main trends and Twitter actually wrote a little uh, summary of me and the thread that I did on Saturday morning that got the trend started. So I want to thank everybody for making that happen. These things matter. They really do. People do read the articles, especially when they trend. So everybody out there who, who read the pieces, who shared them, who uh, shared the hashtag, thank you so much. It does make a difference. It does matter. I promise you that it does. I know for a fact people are reading this thing. People in positions of power are reading this thing. Thank you. I'd also would like to thank everybody that signed up and subscribed to the Prevail Substack this week. I really appreciate it. As you know, there's no paywall to Prevail. Every article on there is free. Every article on there will always be free as long as I have a say in it. And I do rely on uh, support that comes in that way. It's like a tip jar. You know, you go to the show, you watch a concert, you like it, you throw some money in the tip jar. That's the model. It's a model that I believe in because nothing pisses me off more than, you know, a cool headline. You go to the article, you want to read it, and you can't until you pay. I don't like that. So I appreciate very much everybody who subscribed. Thank you. Keep sharing that hashtag. It's a big deal. I don't know. I feel like this, this week... This is a good week for democracy. This is a bad week for the bad guys. One of the bad guys is Tom Barrett, Trump's good buddy. We're going to talk about him, who he is, how he fits in with the great Lou New. We'll be right back with Lou New. I'm Frank Luntz, the best Republican communications consultant ever. I'm the guy who told everyone to call it a death tax, not an estate tax, and climate change, not global warming. I'm joined today by Carl Rove. Oh, hello there. And Steve Bannon. Kaiser Shizzy! Kaiser Shizzy! We've been charged with changing the Republican messaging with regards to the events of January 6th. We have to make these mouth-breathing Fox News zombie imbeciles, uh, excuse me, these Trump voters, believe that the whole thing was no big deal, that if anyone is to blame, it's Nancy Pelosi and whoever shot Ashley Babbitt. Oh, uh, why don't we just say Nancy Pelosi shot Ashley Babbitt? <laughs> that killed two birds with, with one stone. <laughs> Great idea, Karl Rove. But first things first, language, words. It's not an insurrection, but a walking tour. The insurrectionists are tourists. The insurrectionists shouting orders into bullhorns are tour guides. 
Liz Cheney and Adam Kensinger are Pelosi Republicans. The guns that the Capitol Police were not allowed to bring to the Capitol that day are Pelosi pieces. The plastic shields they use to try and defend themselves against the crazed MAGA horde are radical feminist barriers. And the police themselves are Kamala cops. Make sure and pronounce it Kamala. Great suggestion, Steve Bannon. The explosive devices planted by the still-unknown insurrectionist are Hunter Biden bombs. Everyone understand? Good. Now let's go spread some lies. Lou New, welcome back to Prevail. Thanks. Good to be here. So I wanted to get your thoughts on this whole Tom Barrick thing. And, and right up front, we should say, it's Barrick, right? It's Tom Barrick. It rhymes with Bernie Carrick. It rhymes with Oil Derrick. It's not Barack, okay? That, that's our guy. That's the president. We don't, we don't dignify this criminal with pronouncing his name that way. It's Barrick. That's what I say. It is Barrick. And if you ever tweet about him, you got to put his first name and his last name because otherwise everyone thinks you're talking about Barack Obama. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird how some of these names like are so similar. I, I feel, you know, LB and I have a running joke that we're part of the simulation that's glitching. And it's things like that. Like this guy's last name is so similar to Barack Obama's first name. And um, yeah, there, there's just all these examples of like, how is the person named reality winner? How is that a real name? Isn't that something that, that the, the computer that's, that's figuring this all out through artificial intelligence has given you know, us in this reality. It's very strange. Yes, it's very strange. It's like some kind of vortex of, I don't know. <laughs> vortex of, something. of yeah, Matri vortex matrices. Something. Yes, matrices, exactly. vortex of, of, of something. Um, yep. All right, so let's let's start here because you're you're a finance person. You worked for, you, it was Goldman Sachs, right? That's where you worked? I did. I worked for Goldman Sachs for three years as a bond trader. And yeah. then I went to a big hedge fund. Right. So you know what this stuff actually means, because I'm going to be honest here. When people start talking about things like hedge funds, my eyes sort of roll back in my head and I don't really understand it. I Most of my knowledge of really high finance comes from watching Billions, which is probably not the greatest source material. So let's start with something very basic. Tom Barrick is the guy who's this finance guy, right? He runs like Colony Capital. What does that mean in practical terms? What does his job entail? Basically, he's a matchmaker. He has people who have money and he has people who need money and he puts the two together. Um, that's essentially what a fund manager does. They have investors who are the people who have money. And then the people who need money are the people who he is investing his investors money in. He has been called by Fortune magazine, which we will get into that later because they're, they're basically mentioned in his indictment. Um, he was called the greatest real estate investor in the world. Um, but really, he's just a guy who puts people together. You know, investor A has a bunch of money, wants to put it to work. Company B needs money. Tom Barrick is in the middle, matchmaking and getting a cut of that deal. That's what investment funds do. Okay, so he's like Barbara Streisand and Hello Dolly. Okay, got it. Sure. And he takes his cut and that's how he makes his money, at least in an above board sort of way. Yes, that's the very simple explanation. Okay. 
So um, now let's go right to the indictment because there's a lot there. And I know you've done some, some deep digging on it. The, the main takeaway for me is the kind of, it, it goes beyond FARA, which is the, the Foreign Agent Registration Act, where he's doing stuff, as I understand it, for the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, where they tell him, hey, go do this. And then he goes and uses his influence to do what they want. Do I have that right? Is that? Yes. Okay. Yes, you um, nailed it. So it's so not even a spy as much as a um, foreign asset in our, in our, like a double agent almost. Yeah, I mean, he is working for the United Arab Emirates. According to all of the stuff in the indictment, he basically was calling the the Prince MBZ, who's effectively the ruler, um, big boss. You know, that's who he was working for. MBZ is basically the head of the the top emir of the United Arab Emirates, right? And he's the guy that's really kind of the behind the scenes mover and shaker in that that group of of uh, of people in the Middle East that are trying to, as I see it, secure power and and forge this kind of economic alliance. That's my understanding of it anyway, that it's it's the Saudis, it's the Emiratis, and it's to some degree Netanyahu's Israelis are kind of coming together to form this new group uh, in the Middle East that are allied together economically. Is that? I, yeah, that's my understanding of it as well. And I'll just say, I don't have any international relations experience. I didn't study it. I don't know a lot about it. Um, but my understanding is that it was the UAE and it was the Saudis versus Qatar. Yeah. And uh, when that blockade, when they did that blockade, Tom Barrick apparently was involved in, in negotiating that and talking to Jared Kushner about that. So they were basically trying to become, along with Israel, the leaders of the Middle East yeah. um, and determining the outcome for all of the other countries there. One of the major people who's really important to mention is the ambassador of the UAE to the United States. His name is Yusuf Otaiba. And Tom Barrick introduced him to Jared Kushner. Ah, I recognize that name. It's been, yeah, it's, he's an important guy. He's an important guy and he's a gross guy. One of the New York magazines described him as a filth bag. Um, <laughs> he's, he's a mess. Um, and it was Otaiba and... Um, the Israeli ambassador to the United States and Jared Kushner, who supposedly negotiated the uh, peace deal. Right. The peace deal, quote unquote, which was, you know, basically, I, as I understand it, seeks to forge this economic partnership between the three countries just mentioned. And, you know, with Kushner's uh, fingerprints all over the thing. So I think that's that's kind of the wider scope of what's going on. And Barrick is a guy who is obviously, he has connections all over the place. He's one of these middlemen, as you said, he's, he's, he's a matchmaker. So he's the one who's going to smooth over the rough edges and make the money flow, right? Is that yeah. think, accurate? Okay, so that's kind of who he is. Now, how does he know Donald Trump? I know that he has been friends with Paul Manafort for over 30 years. And Tom Barrick is the person who recommended Paul Manafort to Donald Trump for right. the campaign. Uh, I don't know how long he's known Trump, but they're all swimming in the same circle, right? I mean, they're, it's the same gross 
sewage pool that they're all swimming in. It's been a long time because um, Barrick was at Fred Trump's funeral and was close enough to Trump at that time to comfort him, you know, at the funeral. So they were they're kind of buddies in that sense. My my understanding is that Trump sort of looks at him as this real estate guy that he would like to be and isn't and can't be because he's a dipshit. And Barrick is actually, you know, very smart and savvy and knows how all this stuff works. And Trump is too much of a buffoon to really do what he does. So he'll listen to what Barrick says a lot of the time. He, he, he's one of those people that Trump actually does listen to, which is important because I don't think there are that many people that Trump listens to because he thinks he's smarter than everybody else. So yeah, that's an that important connection right. to have. Yeah. So if you're if you're a foreign, a hostile foreign government or a government in, uh, you know, seeking to control the United States in some way and influence U.S. policy, a great thing for you to do would be to tap into your own connections with this guy who has Trump's ear, the ear of the president and the son-in-law of the president, who um, is obviously has his own reasons for wanting to get involved with all this mess. Right. Yes. And Tom Barrick has a history of arranging basically loans for distressed Westerners, be they celebrities or investors of some kind. And the money's always coming from some investor in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. uh, and that goes back quite a long ways. So yeah, I, Trump respects Tom Barrick because Tom Barrick is able to get money for <laughs> distressed investors. And what is Trump? He's a distressed investor. He's like the walking epitome of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that makes sense because um, I was reading about Barrick to prepare for this. And there's all these like weird celebrity names that you see mentioned with him. Like, for example, he bought Neverland Ranch from the estate. He did. Right. Which is strange. Yeah. And he bought the note from um, Fortress Investment Group. What's, I don't know what that is. What's that? That means like he bought the debt that was owed on, uh, the way he bought Neverland Ranch was he bought the the debt of Neverland Ranch from Fortress okay. Investment Group. What's Fortress Investment Group? Michael Jackson did a deal with Fortress Investment Group, which is like a huge investment fund um, where they lent him money. Uh, they're a private equity fund and they lent him money to uh, basically continue to run Neverland Ranch. Okay. Tom Barrick bought that note, um, which is like the debt from Fortress Investment Group in order to take over Neverland Ranch. And Tom Barrick was also involved in the relaunch of Michael Jackson's career, the tour that he was preparing for when he died. Interesting. Okay. I did not know that. Um, so, and then I think, Annie Leibovitz is another name that I saw. Like he he helped buy her place for 20 something million dollars, which seems like a lot of money for a photographer to have, but I don't know, you know, celebrity yeah. or otherwise. There's an article about Tom Barrick and his bestie, who is Rob Lowe, yeah. um, and how they were investing in distressed celebrities. So let's talk about what distressed investing means. Yes. D distressed investing is when you're investing in people who are desperate for money. Distressed real estate is real estate where there is major money owed on the mortgage um, and it's going to get foreclosed upon or it's going to be taken over by the government because of taxes owed, etc. So distressed investing is investing in something which is possibly not a great investment and you can get it cheap because it's possibly not a great investment. 
Right. So investing in distressed celebrities, what does that mean? That means you're investing in celebrities who are desperate for cash for whatever reason. And that means that you can kind of get leverage over them, right? Right, totally. It's predatory lending, but you're lending to people who are desperate for cash for whatever reason. And that kind of gives you control over, it can give you control over their intellectual property if you strike the deal correctly um, or correctly. I mean, if you, if you drive a hard bargain you can get the intellectual property rights for some of these celebrities. So like Annie Leibovitz, I don't know what the terms of the deal were, but if if you if she is desperate for money and you can strike a deal with her where you're getting control of her intellectual property, that's worth a huge amount of money because she is the photographer who photographs all of these celebrities. Right. And she owns the intellectual property of that. So all of those photos can be licensed and all of that stuff. So investing in in distressed celebrities means investing in individuals who are in a really bad place and in desperate need of money. And you can kind of, that's what Tom Barrick did with Michael Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. He was desperate for money. Tom Barrick was able to kind of get control over his property and him make him go on tour and all of that stuff because he was so desperate for cash. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, and Rob Lowe is his partner. I mean, how does Rob Lowe have like unbridled wealth here? Is it St. Elmo's Fire and the West Wing that much? Like, I don't get it. No, I think Rob Lowe was the um, wingman. Ah, okay. You could do right. worse as a wingman than Rob Lowe, probably. Yes, I guess. But if you're investing in distressed celebrities, right, it helps to have a celebrity of their own milieu to be like, oh, yeah, this guy, Tom Barrick, is, you know, he's a good guy. I'm Rob Lowe, and I'm also super famous, and I trust him, so you should trust him, too. Oh, my God. I just realized that what this means is that Rob Lowe isn't Sam Seaborn. Rob Lowe is really his character from Wayne's World. Like, that's who yeah. Rob Lowe really is. Yes, I yeah. think that's who he is. Oh, my yeah. God. Well, how disappointing. Oh, well. Um, what a sad moment on the Prevail podcast today that we have to have to mourn the loss of, of, of Sam Seaborn, Rob Lowe. But, Alas. you know, whatever. I don't believe I've ever had French champagne before. Oh, actually, all champagne is French. It's named after the region. Otherwise, it's sparkling white wine. Americans, of course, don't recognize the convention, so it becomes that thing of calling all of their sparkling white champagne, even though by definition they're not. Ah, uh, yes. It's a lot like Star Trek, the next generation. In many ways, it's superior, but will never be as recognized as the original. Um, so, okay, so distressed assets. I mean, distressed celebrities is one thing. Distressed assets are something else. And I can think of somebody who had an enormous distressed asset at 666 Fifth Avenue in New York City somebody by the name of Jared Kushner and the Kushner companies, which owned that property that was going to go underwater and be foreclosed upon because he bought it for over what, a billion dollars, I believe at the height of the, of the real estate market. And then almost as soon as the ink was dry, the market collapsed. And I think a lot of that is commercial real estate anyway, which God knows when that's coming back to New York. So this, apart from all else, this was an epically, stupid investment by a guy who's supposed to be a good businessman, Kushner, right? I mean, I mean, Kushner is a dumbass and yeah. he makes terrible decisions daily. 666 was a an epic mistake and yeah. he was desperate for cash. 
and he got a cash infusion and we still don't know where that cash infusion came from, but it looks like Tom Barrick may have been involved in matchmaking that cash infusion. So to get back to the indictment Mm -hmm. of Tom Barrick, there are seven counts of the indictment. So he was indicted on seven counts. And if you go through the indictment, it's interesting to note that the entire indictment is about Tom Barrick working for the United Arab Emirates. There is documented government record reporting that Tom Barrick was also working on behalf of the Saudi government. Elijah Cummings, um, who is a national treasure and we lost just, we lost a national treasure when he died. He and his committee released a report in 2019 about the Saudi nuclear deal that Trump and Flynn, et cetera, were all trying to corruptly organize. And Tom Barrick Barrick is all over that reporting. That's right Uh, around the time of the inauguration, right? They they were going to the inauguration. It was that time frame where the inauguration was kind of tied into that in my mind in some way that that never became evident why or how or whatever. Correct. And so... Elijah Cummings releases this report in the summer of 2019 um, that makes it clear that Tom Barrick was was basically working for the Saudis. So then we get an indictment two years later that says Tom Barrick was working for MBZ, a.k.a. the UAE. But there's nothing about the Saudis in that indictment. So could count six be related to his work for the Saudis? Yes. Could it be related to his introduction of Yusef Otaiba, again, who is the ambassador of the UAE to the United States, Tom Barrick introduced Otaiba to Jared Kushner. Right. right. Jared Kushner then goes on to negotiate this Middle East peace deal with Israel and the UAE. Did he, did Jared Kushner get some money for 666 because he was effectively using United States foreign policy to advance the interests of the UAE? Right. So we don't know. There are many other possibilities for what it could be, but count six is redacted and there are a lot of pages that are redacted and I cannot wait to see what is in that indictment. It's going to be interesting. I mean, as we're recording this, it's Sunday, the 25th, and Barrick is supposed to appear before the judge in New York tomorrow. You think he's going to be there or not? I do. I think he got scared by being put in jail. Um, You know, they moved up the hearing and he was able to get out on a bond um, where he had to put up $5 million. And then if he flees, they get to go take $245 million worth of his assets. He's wearing a GPS ankle monitoring bracelet. There's a limit on his spending. He's only allowed to spend $50,000. Must be nice. So I do think he'll show up. I think Tom Barrick cares about Tom Barrick. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe he won't flip, but I think he'll do whatever he can to not have to spend as much time as possible in prison. Yeah. I I tend to agree. When I first heard about it, I was like, this guy is such a flight risk, like on a scale of one to 10, it's like basically a billion. But then the news trickled out about what the terms of the bond were. $250, $250, $250 million is a lot of money, even for a guy like that. Because I was reading that 
if he's a billionaire, he's just a billionaire. Like he's not, he's not worth $50 billion. He's, you know, that's a, that's a, a third of his wealth maybe. Right. And it's like the houses where his kids live and this and that. So for him to leave and never be able to come back and not even be guaranteed that that would be the case would be kind of crazy. Um, you know, cause again, he's going to have the best lawyers. He's going to have all kinds of stuff and he's going to work with the prosecutors to try to cut himself a deal that maybe keeps him out of the, the hooskow. I don't know if it will be successful, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's 74 years old. He's an old man. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he doesn't want a 10 year prison sentence, no. you know, he, cause that's effectively a life sentence. Yes. yes. So even if he's able to kind of deal down and get a much lower prison sentence, um, it's still a significant amount of the time that he has remaining on earth. Yes. Yep. Yes, it is. So that is motivation for him to, um, I, I don't know if he'll flip, but he may decide to plead guilty and not turn on anybody because, you know, the people that he's been doing business with are the people who cut people up in embassies. Um, but, you know, he may be like, okay, I'm going to take my lumps and I'm going to plead guilty because if I plead guilty, then maybe I'll get, you know, three years instead of 10 years. They have, it sucks to be him, but they, the indictment, like they have him dead to rights. There is, if you read the indictment, and I recommend that everyone read the indictment, he lied to the FBI. So the United Arab Emirates dudes that he was working for basically said, okay, we need to have a secure method of communication. So you guys need to get a special dedicated phone to use this special encrypted app to communicate with us because we need it to be totally secret. And Tom Barrick and his employee, Matthew Grimes, um, were like, cool, we'll do that. They got their dedicated phone. They got the app. They were on board. There are text messages that the FBI has between the, the United Arab Emirates guys and Tom Barrick and Matthew Grimes. They have text messages between these people saying, yeah, we got the phone. You know, we're going to get the app. We're going to have secure communications. So when Tom Barrick is interviewed by the FBI, the FBI, you know, advises him, hey, it's a felony to lie to the FBI. Did you get a secret phone to communicate with the United Arab Emirates guys? And Tom Barrick says no. Did you get a secret encrypted app to communicate with the United Arab Emirates guy? And Tom Barrick says no. Well, they have text messages that show that that is a lie. He did, and he knew, and he can't just pass it off on his employee because he is in the text messages saying, yeah, let's get this phone and let's get this stuff. So lying to the FBI, it seems like everyone in Trump world thinks it's not a big deal. Right. But it's a really big deal. And when they can prove with like that kind of evidence that you lied to them, you're fucked. Yeah. And they don't, they don't bring those charges unless they know, you know, like with Flynn, I mean, and it's really well done in, in the Billy Ray movie, the, uh, the Comey rule where they show the scene where Flynn is just, Hey, did you do this? Nope. And then they cut and they show him doing it. And it's, they know the answers to the questions before they ask them. So if you lie, they know as, as Hannibal Lecter says, don't lie around now. You know, it's the same thing. 
So, so, I mean, even if they can't get him, let's say for whatever reason, he's able to wiggle out of the charges that he was working for the United Arab Emirates, which I think it will be very hard for him to wiggle out of that. But let's say there's some, you know, he has like extremely expensive lawyers and they're able to get him out of those charges. He still lied to the FBI. And that is still something that he can go to prison for. Um, because if it goes to trial, if he's like, I'm, I'm, you know, whatever, I want to go to trial. I don't think any jury is going to be like, yeah, those text messages clearly didn't come from his phone. You know, I I mean, I think it's pretty much an open and shut case that he lied to the FBI. Yeah. So other charges aside, dude lied to the FBI. That's a crime that deserves jail time. He's 74 years old. I was going to say he's old. He's 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 getting up there. So you're in jail for three years for that or something. That's a significant percentage of your remaining life that. And this is not a hardened criminal guy. This isn't a Vankov who went to prison in, in Russia and killed people for fun. This is a guy who, as our friend LB says, slathers this lotion all over himself and wears like, you know, the best shirts imaginable and the thread count on his sheets must be in the you know five digits or something. So he's not going to take well to prison life, I would not think. I don't think he's going to enjoy it so much. Agreed. And just as a side note, there is a, there, this was going around Twitter a couple of days ago, but uh, one of the Proud Boys wrote a message about how miserable jail is. I saw that, yeah. <laughs> So if the Proud Boy is whining about jail, just imagine how Tom Barrack feels about jail. Because the Proud Boy's life is not nearly as luxurious as Tom Barrack's life. Right. Um, yep. So, you know, this like supposedly macho Proud Boy dude is complaining that all they, the food they feed us is soy based and they're ruining our bodies and we don't get Tom outside in the sun. You know, Tom Barrack, who... I think lives in Malibu, wears fancy lotion. I'm sure like spends all his time in like silk slippers, like Wilbur Ross. Right. Um, jail's not going to be fun for him. No. So yeah, he he's, he's basically incentivized in the highest way to cooperate at this point. Um, okay. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Lou New. It's where you learned. At least 83. Trump is a Russian asset. That it's time to establish a direct contact with Donald Trump. January 6th was never just a political rally. An insurrection, an attempted overthrow of the federal government. The origins of coronavirus. Accidental leak, non-intentional, of a laboratory that was doing research on these viruses. How the Crown covered up child abuse. The vast majority of those people never imagined for one moment they were effectively participating in the concealment of child abuse but they did rudy is probably in violation of a faro law and the truth about jeffrey epstein i'm zev shalev join me at narrative it's where truth lives at narrative.org or wherever you get your podcasts there is a world beneath our own created over a century ago by America's original gangsters, Meyer Lansky, Lucky Luciano, Al Capone. And it was infiltrated almost immediately by the world's most formidable spies. The new podcast, The World Beneath, illuminates the untold 100-year history of mobsters and spies. 
Listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Okay, we're back with Lou Nu. Let's go back to Kushner for a minute because Kushner is such an intriguing person because he's he's so arrogant, but he's also so stupid and also so corrupt. And it's hard to really parse exactly what it is that he's done. What we know from some of the reporting is that we know for sure that he owed a lot of money at triple six fifth Avenue in New York, enough money. The loan was coming due that it was going to destroy his company. It was going to bankrupt his company this this because of this stupid purchase that he made. Okay. So he's hanging out with MBS Bonesaw in Riyadh at the palace, whatever they're doing. They're just a bunch of millennial princes hanging out, having a, a, a gay old time, as they say on the Flintstones. And According to The Intercept, Kushner kind of let it slip. Certain things might have been given to MBS in terms of um, classified uh, intelligence as to which members of the Saudi royal family were kind of not on his side. And after Kushner left, there was a purge of the uh, Saudi royal family. One of the guys that got caught up in the purge and had his money seized was, um, I forget his name, one of the investors of Fox News who Trump knew. So it was this weird kind of thing there. And anyway, what did Kushner get out of this? Because soon after that, the loan was paid off. And it was paid off by, we think, the Qatari uh, Investment Fund, QIA, I think, or, or some company associated with that. I don't know if the fund gave money to another company in Canada, I think, that bought it off. But it, the origin of the money was through Qatar. So how does this all fit in? And, you know, again, the Qataris at the time were the subject of a blockade, which um, the Emiratis and the Saudis both wanted. Kushner sort of came out in favor of the blockade. But then once the money was released, then he was like, nah, it's OK. Blockade can, you know, so... Is he trading U.S. policy for debt relief for his so. personal business? Because that's fucking so. bad. That's really yeah. bad. Yeah. yeah. It looks like that's what he was doing. And I think more information will come out on this. But my guess is that the moving of the U.S. embassy in Israel, which was hugely controversial. Yeah. My guess is that that was also done in exchange for some kind of deal, some kind of private money deal that was, you know, on the back end um, because they were basically just selling us foreign policy to benefit themselves yes so you know the the blockade of qatar is pressure on qatar to get rid of this blockade what do they have to do well if jared needs some money oh okay let's pay off his you know let's let's invest in this distressed asset <laughs> yes so that our distress, this blockade that we're going through will go away. And if that's the case, then that means Jared Kushner was selling United States foreign policy um, for his own personal benefit. Which is, I think, is that espionage? I don't know what it is, but it's, it's, it's tantamount to treason, I think. Yeah, I mean, it is really bad, really bad. That's emoluments. 
right? He's getting yeah. foreign money for foreign policy. Um, and they're obviously not acting in the best interest of the country. They're acting in the no. best interest of their own pocketbooks. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot. And, and there was some reporting where they basically like went around Rex Tillerson when Rex Tillerson was secretary of state they they went around him to try to organize meetings and all kinds of stuff because they even though rex tillerson was their guy they i think they knew this was so dirty that even someone like rex tillerson would be like you can't do this yeah 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 so I think you're right yeah yeah so and this is also by the way what trump was kind of doing in ukraine he was he was using u.s policy to get something to personally benefit him from a, a, a government, in this case, an ally, and threw them under the bus in the process and, and, and screwed them with regard to the you know, Russians. So yeah, this is a... basically what they do. It's not a surprise that Kushner would also engage in this kind of activity. Um, I can't bring up Kushner and being a dick, by the way, without going back to who his father is and why his father went to prison, which is that his father hired a prostitute to honey trap his brother-in-law and then filmed it and showed it to his sister to get his sister to change her mind about some kind of trial thing that was happening. Like his, his brother-in-law, he did that too. Like this is, these are scumbag people. They are the scummiest fucking people imaginable. They are so gross. And Kushner's feud with Chris Christie goes mm -hmm. back to that because Chris Christie is the guy who put Jared's dad in prison. Right, right. Because yep. Jared's dad was a gross scumbag. Um, so, you know, there was all this like palace intrigue reporting about how like Kushner doesn't like Christie, blah, blah, blah. You know, oh, Christie was going to get the vice presidential nom, but then Kushner said no because Christie is who put his scumbag dad in prison. Right. So, you know, they're, they're just, these are really gross people who are used to operating in the real estate world where disgusting shit like this happens all the time. But what they didn't, what they, they thought they wanted access to national security secrets because they, they figured they could sell that off for parts too. But what they didn't anticipate was in the United States, you can be corrupt. You can be a corrupt finance guy. And there's a good chance that you'll never go to prison for it. There's a good chance that you'll get away with it. Right. We just we have an understaffed IRS. We have an understaffed SEC. You know, there there's a you, there's a chance you're going to get away with it. Yep. But if you if you fuck with national security, that is where we have our investments, because it is national security. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're if you're trying to fuck with our national security stuff, you're going to get caught. Yeah. And and every instant that these people walk free is another is another day that they can go sell the secrets that they know. I'm talking about Kushner and Trump both. These people know things that they shouldn't know. So in any other society at any other point in the world, they would be executed because the re and the reason why is because it's hard to get secrets out of people that are dead. That's why you do that to traitors historically. But in our enlightened society, they just need to be put in some sort of, you know, secure uh, federal supermax where they are denied access to the outside world until they die of an old age. And that's, yeah, I mean, you know, the, there's a, like the one saving grace for them is that, you know, 
every all the information that they have is no longer current right because things yeah. are things update and things change so any of the intelligence that they may try to be trading on is decreased significantly in monetary value because it's no longer up to date one wonders also if there was counterintelligence stuff at work like if if the intelligence people were like these guys are clearly criminal morons we're not giving them shit yeah let's give them this thing and see what happens with it yeah. And then he goes on TV and, you know, reveals some sort of secret accidentally. And then he re lets the, the Russians into the Oval Office yep. and doesn't even let American photographers in there. I hope that they, you know, debugged and saged the hell out of that place before Biden went in there. I'm sure that they did. But. I don't know if you remember this, but after their meeting with the Russians, Trump had to spend two weeks in Bedminster while they were renovating the White House. Mm. And my guess is that they were ripping it down to the studs and rebuilding it. Okay, good. Because that's, that's crazy talk. Like you can't yeah. let those two guys into that room under yeah. any circumstances. Right. Those are exactly. Yeah. You know, Kislyak and Lavrov. These are not people that you want anywhere near the fact that they were ever allowed in there is, a, yeah. is an atrocity. And their photographer and no U.S. photographer. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's disgusting. But the the one thing that makes me feel better and helps me sleep at night is knowing that any of the intelligence that these fuckers have is out of date. And yeah. because it's out of date, it is much less valuable. So yeah. it is much harder for them to trade on those secrets now if they were to try to trade on those secrets because the world has changed in the last six months. So none of their info is current. That's good. That's good news. That's good news for sure. It's now, kind of like how the gossip rags, like the gossip rags aren't going to pay for some juicy celebrity story from the 90s. No, 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 no. They're going to pay for... Yeah, oh, Sherilyn Fenn had an affair with nobody cares. Yeah, right, nobody fine. cares. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and that, and in national security, like that stuff moves really fast. So, six month old information is just, it's not worth as much as it was. Yeah. And I think that's part of why they wanted to stay in power. Um, yeah. Because they wanted to keep access to that stuff, keep the gravy um, train flowing, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, another thing about Kushner that I know from my friend Zev Shalev is that his family is good friends with the Netanyahu family. Yes. So much so that when Netanyahu visited the United States, this is years ago, he stayed with the Kushners and in fact stayed in Jared's room. Not Jared was not in the room. He slept somewhere else, but he, you know, that's how close these guys are. So again, if you look at just the connections that these people have, you have the Kushners, you have Netanyahu in Israel, you have Barak kind of, you know, prime in the pump with all of these people. You have the various Emiratis led by MBZ. You have Bonesaw in Saudi Arabia. These are a lot of powerful people with a lot of money and a lot of money moving around. The other um, name that I hear, there's two names that I hear in association with Barrick are Weinstein and Epstein. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Barrick um, bailed out distressed Weinstein. Mm. Uh, he bought Miramax. Um, and he, I believe he bought Miramax with money from the Qatar, the Qatar investment fund. Um, so it was 2010. Okay. In 2010, Barrick and the Qatar like national investment fund bought Miramax from Weinstein. Okay. So that's 2010. Then when Weinstein gets, um, charged for all of his sexual abuse stuff, Tom Barrick is out in the news saying he's going to buy the Weinstein companies mm. and stuff. So 
Weinstein was a distressed investment, right? Absolutely, yeah. And Tom Barrick is there with the Middle Eastern money to bail Weinstein out. Yeah. Um, I think it's also really important to note, because we should all celebrate and do a toast, that <laughs> Tom Barrick was in jail the same night that Weinstein was transferred to jail in California to go on trial. Wow. Good. Good. Which is pretty special yeah. because they have a long history together. So I think they were, if I, I believe Barrick was in, was in jail in Southern California. So they may have spent the night together in jail, which oh. is really, that's really special. Isn't you that know? nice? Good for them. I'm so, I'm so, uh, yeah, no, th these are, these are terrible people. And um, the Epstein connection, all I know really is that, you know, again, this is another guy that they all knew and hung around with another guy who has all this money of indeterminate origin and another guy who is a matchmaker in that sense as well, who's moving money from point A to point B and helping people recover money and dealing arms and whatever the hell else people. he's doing. Blackmailing yeah. people. Doing you know. espionage, who knows? Yeah, whatever um, else he's up to. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to point out too that you know this investment in Michael Jackson is interesting because Michael Jackson also, there were many allegations of sexual yeah. abuse. And so it's like, why is Tom Barrick doing business with all these really disgusting people who like, it's like public record that they are gross. Tom Barrick bought Miramax in 2010 with Qatari money. And one of his executives was this, was this guy, Richard Nanula. Um, who was like an executive at Miramax working for Tom Barrick and they were friends. He got busted. Nanula got busted in 2013 because he was hiring porn stars to do in-home private porn star film shoots. And he got fired from Miramax after that came out and all that stuff. But that sounds a hell of a lot like what happened with Stormy Daniels and Donald Trump, right? Yeah. Yeah. Porn stars as prostitutes effectively. Yeah. And this was like a senior executive who was buddies with Tom Barrick. And so there's a lot of really gross like sexual behavior affiliated with Tom Barrick's businesses, investments, et cetera. Tom Barrick also hired Paul Manafort's mistress after the election. So Colony Capital, Tom Barrick's company, hired Paul Manafort's mistress, who was not qualified to be yeah. an employee there. So there's a lot of like gross, weird well, let, yeah, let, let's lay it out. There's the guy that you just mentioned. There's Trump, obviously, is, you know, we, we focus often on all of the other stuff with Trump, but he is a serial rapist. That's what he is. Long time. There's Epstein, of course, who needs no introduction. One of the most disgusting pervs of modern times, sex trafficking horror. George Nader is, pops up in, in this circle, too. He's a guy who I, people say, don't even read that indictment because it's the pedophilia is so disgusting and awful. It's, it, it's triggering. There's yeah, I Harvey can read Weinstein, it. you know, it's Michael Jackson. It, there's a lot of now I say Michael Jackson, people will get on me because, you know. They will. But, you know, the allegations are public record. So, yeah. you know, you're going to get mad. That's fine. But there are a lot of individuals who are claiming that they were victims of Michael Jackson. So, you know, that is not, you know, it is not, it is not wrong to point that out. And even going into the Kushner land, you have uh, Charles has been involved with weird things also, but he was a big 
um, backer of McGreevy and McGreevy when he was governor of New Jersey had the, the guy that the Israeli man that he hired to do whatever it was that he was sexually harassing. Like there's lots of weird stuff going on with all of these people. Yeah. You know? There's a Manafort, lot of gross stuff. I mean, Manafort and Barrick are, are, are really good friends. And we know from the text messages of Manafort's daughters, how, what a, you know, skeevy gross guy he is in terms of like the wife thing and all of that stuff. You know, it's, it's not, it's not a good picture that these, that these people are. Um, yeah. I think, um, so just to switch topics for a little bit, I think it's important also to point out that Tom Barrick ran the inauguration fund mm. for Donald Trump, which we have known for years has been under investigation because a lot of money disappeared. Yeah. Tom Barrick also um, set up a PAC called Rebuilding America Now to raise funds for Donald Trump. And I think one, another possibility, and again, I don't know what this is, right? It's all redacted, but I think an, it is possible that another another thing that could be count six in okay. the Tom Barrick indictment, it could be related to the Trump inauguration fund and you know the shenanigans that went on with the, with the money. Tom Barrick, it, is, it has been reported that he was selling access to Trump via the, they had this like chairman's ball dinner as part of the inauguration weekend. And Tom Barrick was, you know, matchmaking his investors, his Middle Eastern investors with Donald Trump and the the Donald Trump, you know, family. This dark money stuff really needs, to, we really have to do something about it because it's such, it's so rife for not only corruption, but foreign infiltration. It, it, you know, it, it's it's bad. Um, and there's really no bad. There's no reason why it has to exist. It's a great place to, it's, it's a money laundering venue, if nothing else, right? Yeah. So, and it's, it just has no place in this. And I, I wish that we'd do something about it. I know we can't because six of the nine Supreme Court justices are Leonard Leo acolytes who are not gonna, you know, uh, that's why they're there. They're there to create this dark money in politics. That's their yes. number one priority yes. in my opinion. Agreed. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it was Crew, um, Crew Crew tweeted out a couple days ago that 45 billionaires have made donations to Congress critters mm. who voted to not certify electoral results. Yeah. I, I, since January 6th. I don't doubt it because these people don't care. They, you know, there's this stateless way that super rich people live where they don't need the United States and the government to function in the way that you and I do. And they just don't give a shit. They'll just go somewhere else. They'll get on their yacht and they'll sail somewhere else, you know, so or they'll get another think, fucking rocket ship and go to right. another goddamn fucking planet. You know, there's their space penises. Um, yeah. So they think, but then when someone else comes along and tries to screw them, they want the U S judicial system to be fair and work, you know, have justice be impartial when they need justice to be impartial. Yeah. Well, it doesn't work so that they way. Don't, you got to give they, to get. Yeah, exactly. Like they don't think about it this way, but like when, you know, big shark number one bites off the food of big shark number two, big sharks number one and two want to be able to go to court and fight it out legally. It doesn't work that way when you've bought off all the courts, right? right. Yeah. It just corrupts the entire system and poisons exactly. it. And, exactly. Um, yeah. Even the sharks can't survive. I mean, back in the day in the 1880s, 90s, as the, as the railroads are being built and there wasn't yet a strong enough federal government to really combat the way that the businesses were consolidating, the big businesses wanted it. 
they wanted some regulation because they because it was just it was anarchy and it wasn't working for anybody. They were all losing money. They wanted some baseline fairness system to exist. Um, and which is something that the Reaganites have failed to appreciate. One of many, many things. Yeah. I mean, like government is good. Yeah. Like we societies evolve for reasons and societies evolved into having governments because not having governments made things really bad. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so it's, to then be like government is evil and all this shit. It's like, okay, you want to go back in time? You want to de devolve back into just complete chaos? Okay, that's, I mean, if that's what you want, fine. But then when you need a court to uh, go complain that some other billionaire stole your space penis, like, good luck. <laughs> I was going to tweet a joke about it and I couldn't figure out the right way to do it. And it was going to be something like, you know, I, I'm fine with the billionaires going into space. What I find objectionable is when they come back. And then like Tulsi Gabbard tweeted something similar, but not as as elegant. And I was like, I can't even anymore yeah. with this. Yeah. She's ruined the entire joke. She's thrown the, the turd in that punch forever. Um, so, okay, one last thing that we didn't cover that's on my, my list here. You have the Qatari Investment Fund. You have maybe Glencore popping into view. And what those keywords indicate to, to me is Rosneft, right? Because Rosneft, as Christopher Steele wrote in his report, they were going to sell a percentage of Rosneft. They did sell the percentage. And per the report and the, the rumors, Trump was going to be paid a commission on the sale. So how would such a commission be paid? Who the fuck knows? But it seems to me that if that is true, which we have no way of knowing that it's true, but if it's true, and again, the sale did happen after he reported that it was going to happen. So that much we know is true. If the payback was going to be commissioned on the sale, I would venture to guess that the people involved with getting the money to go where it was going to go are going to be people like Tom Barrick. Maybe not him specifically, but people who move in this orbit, right? I would think so. Yeah. And I mean, it's not going to be a straightforward payment, right? It's not going to be like, yeah. hey, we cut you a check for this. It's going to be like, oh, your distressed asset over here is in need of bailing out. We're going to bail that out. Right. And then, you know what I mean? It would be like a big circle of mm -hmm. money flowing from do, 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 until it gets to where the ultimate destination. But why do they do that? They do that because if you can make a very long money trail, you are obfuscating the origin of the money. It's classic money laundering. So right. If Trump did receive a commission on that sale, it will have been very well disguised through layers and layers of investments. Yes. Um, I don't think, and I've said this from the beginning, my theory isn't that he got money. My theory is that he had debts forgiven, which yeah. is, a, it's. I know it's the same thing, but it's not psychologically the same thing because having somebody clear your debts is really a, a, effectively, what did you say? Taking the note on the distressed assets and then ripping the note up like, um, you know, Captain Renault does to the bill in Casablanca. There's a lot of power in that. There is. There is. Because yes, when you're you... free, but not really. Right. Exactly. Like you're free. But remember, I'm the one who freed you. Like yeah. I am the one who got the key to your handcuffs. Mm -hmm. You owe me. Yeah. So, you know, I mean. Yeah, there's and, and so the way. It's 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 good that it's really good that you brought up Rosneft because the way that the Russian state 
or Putin and his buddies do foreign policy is exactly the way that Jared Kushner and Donald Trump wanted to do U.S. foreign policy. Mm, They wanted to sell off the U.S. government for parts, which is what the Russians do, right? Rosneft is a state company and they just privatize it and then sell it off for parts to whoever they need to in order to get whatever influence they want. Um, And that is what was happening with that Saudi nuclear deal that Tom Barrick was clearly involved in as uh, Representative Cummings showed in that report. Um, And I think it would be good. uh, I'll send you links to the indictment and to the Cummings report. And I think in the show notes, it would be really good to link to those so people can read both of those things. They're long, but they're really, really worth your time. Yeah, I'll put it in the in the piece, the accompanying piece that I do, you know, on Friday. Okay. Which the title of which is going to be Distressed Assets, by the way. Excellent. Although maybe maybe I should get rid of the T and just make it Distressed Asses. I don't know. <laughs> yes, don't yes, know. that's perfect. That is perfect. So, no, I'm glad you brought that up because it's true. They want it. They, they're trying to create a system here where it's no longer democratic, where oligarchs, similar to the oligarchs in Russia, gain hold of things. And people like Ron Johnson and Ted Cruz and Tom Cotton and Rand Paul are not only senators, but they're also extravagantly wealthy based on this system. So they're just going to be in in the political process forever. They're going to grab all the money. They're going to corrupt the process. That's what they want to have happen. And I can't stress enough how dangerous this is to our democracy. And you know, what a big fucking deal it is. It's not, I know people are like, oh, you know, Trump isn't president anymore. Why are you still talking about him? And the reason why is because we like the United States as a democracy and we want to keep it that way. That's what we were, you know, that's kind of what we want to do. Yeah. And remember, really corrupt regimes have elections, right? Mm -hmm. They're not real elections, but they're show elections. And what the Republican Party is trying to do by restricting voting rights is to have show elections, to have elections yeah. that seem legit, but where they're actually determining the outcome because they're determining the inputs, right? They're determining who the vo- who votes, and that means that they're determining the the output. To circle back, yep. I think um, if you if you read the indictment of Tom Barrick, one of the, in my opinion, most egregious things is that he wrote an op-ed which was published in Fortune magazine. And his op-ed is all about how great, you know, the United Arab Emirates is, all of that stuff. And he was getting input, he was getting feedback on his piece from the representatives of Prince MBZ. And in the initial draft of, and this is all stated in the indictment, in the initial draft of the op-ed, he refers to Middle Eastern governments as dictatorships. And one of the edits that was made was, oh, they don't like the term dictatorships. Can you use something else, please? And it's edited and changed to regimes. Mm. Okay. So then Sean Hannity on his show a couple days ago was like, what is Joe Biden doing kissing up to dictators? And meanwhile, like Trump, like there is documented evidence of Trump continuously kissing up to dictators and of Trump's good friend, Tom Barrick, writing an op-ed on behalf of the United Arab Emirates, where he himself initially called them dictatorships and then gets the feedback from the prince that, no, we don't want to call us a dictatorship, call us a regime. Okay, fine. We're going to change that. 
So it's like the projection from Sean Hannity saying that about Joe Biden is just off the charts. Well, yeah. And also Mike Flynn was taking money from, you know, I think two different dictatorships. Mm -hmm. What did he make? 50 grand from Turkey? Like the, the thing that's so pathetic about Mike Flynn, aside from his ugly face, is that the, the amount of money that he got is so pathetically tiny. Yeah. It's like, really? For that little amount of money, you're going to sell out the U.S. government? Wow. Yeah. That's just, just sad, man. I mean, at least make some, some you know, money on the deal. It's bare, you can't even get a new Tesla for that, for Christ's sake. <laughs> you cannot fund Elon Musk's space penis with that amount of money. <laughs> um, why do you think... Why do you think they impose the $50,000 bond rule for Tom Barrett? Because he's not allowed to spend more than 50 grand on, I guess, any one thing. Is that what it is? Yeah, I don't know. It's so weird, right? I mean, yeah. uh, like, uh, what world do these people live in where you have to, like, limit someone's spending? I, I, I don't know. I have no idea what that is. I've never seen anything like it, but I don't, you know, I'm not a courts reporter. And so I don't know if that's, like, a, a normal thing. Maybe they're trying to prevent him from bribing people to mm. get him out of the country. Um, and maybe if they have if they have spending limits like that in place, they can monitor his accounts yeah. to make sure that he's not. I mean, let's be honest, like this guy probably has offshore accounts that the feds don't know about. Get right and out of town. So, <laughs> so like he could he's probably like wiring someone like 50 million dollars right now from his like, you know, Seychelles account or whatever. But um, but they, that means that they can at least keep track of his his in and out funds um for the accounts that they know about and if he violates that they can send it back to jail so right. it's an incentive for him to not kind of fuck around yeah is my guess be frugal buy the new volvo instead okay yes yeah. exactly yeah. it's gonna be fine for him um one one last thing you you helped me so thank you i wrote the piece about the election um tallies a couple weeks ago about how strange the results were um, in Trump land. And I want to go back to one thing you were saying, which in the spreadsheets that you sent me analyzing the returns in the state of Texas, the participation of voters in 2016 of registered voters was something like 59.5%. In 2020, it went up to like, I think 63 or 64, which is way lower than other states. So whatever they're doing in Texas is absolutely working. They're keeping people away from from the polls. And if that number goes up to like 70%, te Texas is going to be blue. And I think they know it. And I think that's why they're working so hard to, uh, you know, to, to suppress the vote, particularly in Texas, because if, if Texas goes blue, there's not going to be another Republican president for a long, long time. It's going to be. Yes, agreed. And that's there's the balance of the Senate right there. Right. Um, yeah. Another thing, and this is really dark, but we have to go there, um, is that 9,000 people have died of COVID in Texas in the last, I think, six months or something. Mm -hmm. um, who are the people who are dying of COVID now? It's not the Democrats. It's, it's not the, the Democrats, right? It's the, it's, I mean, there, yes, we have problems with vaccination and anti-vax rhetoric in some, you know, urban communities. That is a problem. But on the whole, the people who are dying from COVID now are people who are unvaccinated. And the majority of people who are unvaccinated are Trump supporters, Trump followers. So if you look at the margins of some of these swing districts, you know, 2000 people dying can make a difference between keeping 
the house and not keeping the house. So I think the reason why the Republicans have had a come to Jesus moment and are now like, you know, making noises about being Mm -hmm. pro vaccination is because they realize killing off their voters kills off their chances of retaking the Senate or retaking the House because in swing districts, margins can be so small. If you're, you know, and who votes? Old people vote. Well, who's dying? Old people are dying. So I think that, you know, it's really dark, but I I do think the reason why they've decided to come around on being pro-vaccine now is because they realize they are literally killing off their voters. It's a death cult, as as many people have said. It's a death cult, and there is a number, I think, of uh, there is a body count after which they're going to have to change, and maybe it's already happened. And it's it's just so sad that it's come to that. It it really is. It's a, it's a horrible thing because these the leaders of this movement know better. Rupert Murdoch got vaccinated way early. Donald Trump got vaccinated early. Sean Hannity and these guys they're all vaccinated. And then they go out and they just say this stuff. And it's it's really just, it's, I can't imagine something more evil It's it, it, in this day and age. I guess I can, but it's pretty damn evil is my point. It's pretty evil. And I think about it too, because I was thinking when I was seeing like all these, you know, all these, the death numbers, right? Taking higher, yeah. Florida is a fucking mess. Like it's just, you know, Missouri is a mess. And I have family in Missouri. And thankfully my family is like mostly vaccinated. We have a couple who are, who are, you know, Q folk, um, but uh, it's a it's a mess. Um, and I was thinking like, OK, so let's look at Mitch McConnell, right? Mitch McConnell is probably let's be honest, he's probably thrilled that people are dying because that means you're decreasing the entitlements, as they call Medicare, Social Security, et cetera. Right. And what do Republicans want to do? They want to completely cut the social safety net. So they would love to get rid of Social Security and Medicare um, and Medicaid. So right. if if people are dying, like, come on, Mitch McConnell's probably like, cool, that's reducing our entitlements. But the thing is, the people who are dying are their voters. So yep. it's this tension of like, oh, yeah, we want them to die because we don't want to pay for them, but we need them to stay alive so they can vote for us. And these are the people who claim to be pro-life, right? So, which is just this great irony that the governor of, of Mississippi, guy named Tate Reeves, who looks like the blow up autopilot from the movie Airplane. Oh God. Um, just, a, just an incel from hell, this guy. And he's young, he's like in his forties, I think. He's not old. He's, you know, I am pro-life, I am this, I am that. And just not only does he not, you know, do anything with, with uh, did he open up Mississippi way earlier than everybody else. The same day, I think, that Abbott did um, in Texas, he also refused the Medicare expansion into Mississippi. So he's like denying funds that are earmarked for his constituents. Like this guy is actively killing people, actively killing people. And yet I, they like him for some reason. I don't know. It's so bizarre. I, I, I just don't understand it. Anyway, it's a grim reality, but the I guess the silver lining is that, you know, we have to take the House, you know, keep the House. Maybe we increase our our holding over the Senate and then we can really get some stuff done, you know, and maintain it because historically there's not that many one term presidents when they are one term presidents. It's usually because they suck. Biden has already shown in the first seven months that he's very popular and has done good things. If he runs again, he's almost certainly going to win again. So, you know, we're going to have time. But 
good God, there's so much damage that these people have wrought that we need to clean up. But maybe this Tom Barrick indictment is the beginning of something great, you know? I think it is. Yeah. Uh, Lou Nu, where can we find you? Um, I am on Twitter at Nina and Tito. Those are my dogs. I named my Twitter account after my dogs. And then I got really into Twitter. So apologies, it's hard to find. But yeah, that's me, Nina and Tito, all spelled out. Okay. Um, Lou Nu, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Craig. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fassa. Sofia Tereshenko provided the Russian introduction. Voice talent is provided by Tally Briggs, Signa Della, Stephanie St. John, Brett Petticord, Ryan Byrne at History Falls Apart, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hockey, Kanai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail website with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the site and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. Until next time, we shall prevail. MSW Media.